If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me this morning once again uh, to the Psalter, uh, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 29 is where we find ourselves this morning. If you haven't already peeked at the liturgy uh, or at what is to come, we continue this morning. If you're visiting with us or if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, we're continuing with our summer excursion, we'll just call it that, uh, in the Psalter. Uh, this ancient hymn book of God's people that, as I said last week, not only teaches truth about God and about what he asks of us, but it's a book, it's a collection of poems and hymns and songs that helps us feel that truth through raw emotion and through beautiful imagery. And the summer, uh, this summer, kind of by default, because we've gone through a lot of Psalms over the 12 years that I have been your pastor, uh, we are looking at Psalms that, let's just say, they're, they're off the beaten path, right? These are lesser known and maybe lesser loved Psalms. We, of course, I know many of you would confess that all of God's Word is profitable. We can go anywhere and gain from the teaching of Scripture, but we're all drawn to certain expressions of truth, right? I am too. And so when we look at the Psalter, what are some of those things that you're drawn to? Maybe Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but is like a tree planted by streams of water. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How about Psalm 46? God is a refuge and strength, a present help in time of trouble. Or one of my favorites, Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, we've looked at all those psalms before. Uh, We could look at them again. I could go on and on, but you get the point. Psalm 29, where we find ourselves this morning, may have some familiar phrases to you, but I doubt it's one of your beloved psalms. Maybe after this morning it will be. That would be great if indeed that's the case. I hope so, because we need this psalm. We need this psalm here at Ascension, but I think our world needs this psalm. We need this psalm because we need what this psalm, the the, the portrait that this psalm paints. And not only the portrait that it paints for us to gaze at and to wonder at, but we need the portrait that that creates in us as we look upon what we see here. So I want to set our hearts here for a few moments. Psalm 29 in its entirety, as is our custom here at Ascension, I'd invite you, if you're able, uh, to stand for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 29, verses 1 through 11. Listen as I read. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. 
The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Pure praise. That's what we find here in Psalm 29. This is a psalm of pure praise. It's a psalm that really doesn't ask us to do that much. And yet what it asks us to do is everything. You see, all the doing is up front in this psalm. If you still have your Bibles open, you can look at it with me right out of the gate in the first stanza three times. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe, followed by this call to worship the Lord. David's asking us to do two things, ascribe and worship. Not to give to the Lord anything. The Lord doesn't need anything from us or anybody else. But to recognize in Yahweh this covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the possession of all these qualities, glory and strength and holiness. Now those are familiar words to us, aren't they? Glory, strength, and holiness. They're words we throw around a lot in church. And so I don't feel the need to deep dive into them or to unpack them fully. But when you put them together and you put glory at the center, this describes a being that is substantial, wholly other than us, powerful beyond measure. Yahweh, the Lord, is glorious. And so David says to his people, to God's people, say to the Lord, these things, Lord, are true of you. Ascribe and worship. But notice the invitation is not just to you and I, is it? It's extended through us to the heavenly beings. Literally, the sons of God. This phrase appears in Job 1 where we read in in verse 6 of Job 1, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Clearly, David is talking about heavenly beings. There is a realm and a race of beings unlike us and yet like us are called to worship the God of the universe. And our earthly adoration, whatever we can put together here this morning, whatever we can put together on this whole planet as we join the voices of thousands, millions of believers who at this very moment are gathering to worship the same God that we love and adore, all created beings, it's not enough. The ones who dwell in God's presence must too acknowledge these things, glory and strength and holiness. You see, what Psalm 29 is, brothers and sisters, is it's an Old Testament doxology. You see, we talk to heavenly beings every week. We're going to do it in just a few minutes. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Right? We sing that every week. 
And this is what worship consists of, acknowledging who God is and then allowing that reality of who God is to connect to and to filter down into our lives. That's what David's after by way of the Holy Spirit, and that's what this whole psalm is after. This psalm is an argument for the glory of Yahweh that we might ascribe and worship and give Him the glory that's due His name. It's a psalm about God. 18 times in 11 verses, we're confronted with the Lord in all caps. I've told you before, that's the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. The name that God's people Israel would not speak. And so as A.W. Tozer once wrote, I think we, maybe Chris shared this quote in our study during our discipleship hour this past spring What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so we want to spend a few moments this morning just meditating on God, on Yahweh, on who He is, and hopefully begin to connect those dots to our lives as well. I want to do this by focusing on two things that I think this psalm evokes in us. And the first thing is trembling. This psalm evokes trembling. Tremble at the Lord of the storm, we might say. Tremble at the Lord of the storm. I want to begin with a a definition. It's an explanation of thunder from the Scientific American, this journal. Thunder is caused by lightning, which is essentially a stream of electrons flowing between or within clouds, between a cloud and the ground. The air surrounding the electron stream is heated to as hot as 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is three times hotter than the surface of the sun. As the superheated air cools, it produces a resonating tube of partial vacuum surrounding the lightning's path. The nearby air rapidly expands and contracts. This causes the column to vibrate like a tubular drumhead and produces a tremendous crack. As the vibrations gradually die out, the sound echoes and reverberates, generating the rumble that we call thunder. There you go. This is what is happening in the scene that David describes. It's thunder. But it's not all that's happening. Indeed, it's, we might say, not the most important thing that's happening. See, we might call this psalm not only a psalm of praise, but we could call it a nature psalm. It's clearly descriptive of our world. But we have a problem with nature these days. Our relationship to nature is problematic, in my opinion. It's problematic because the modern mind wants to reduce everything to reason, right? We, we control it by having an explanation of why it happens because that's more comfortable for us. It's not necessarily a bad thing. God made us to be inquisitors, but God made us to understand things. Every once in a while when things get really crazy in our world, we describe mother nature, right? As, as doing her thing. 
But even that is rare these days, and it's actually insincere because we know we can explain, just like I read to you the definition of thunder, we can explain to you what's going on. And while it's true that the ancient mind that David couldn't explain thunder like I just did, for them, thunder and lightning was this mysterious thing, this manifestation of something outside of of their world. Yeah, David lived in that world. But through his own heart and through the Holy Spirit, I think this morning he calls our modern minds to see things, not, not as they saw them, but as they really are. As they really are. You see, as David literally witnesses a violent storm in his land, perhaps, see, I, I imagine David kind of in this rocky cave and he's kind of watching this thing from, from a height brewing over the chaos of the water, making landfall in the north and descending south over the land of promise. David wants us to see and to feel and to tremble at the Lord of the storm. He doesn't want us to define thunder like I just did. He wants us to hear the voice of the Lord. And so let's dig a little deeper as we follow this storm with David. The scene begins uh, in verse 3, over the waters. For the ancient mind, the waters, the Mediterranean Sea, was, was scary. It's unknown. The water is still scary. Have you ever swam in the open ocean, like deep, like uh, away from the shore? It's scary. The unknown of what is creeping and what is lying below. And for the ancient mind, the Mediterranean Sea and its unpredictability and the unknown of what was below it was scary, was chaos. And Yahweh is thundering over it all. From there, the storm continues from the north, verses 5 and 6, to the region of Lebanon and Syrian. This region was known for its huge cedar trees. Some of them were 70 to 80 feet high. Some of them were 30 feet around in circumference. They were no match for the storm, this violent storm, for the power of Yahweh as He snaps them, as He strips them bare. In fact, the whole ground shakes as the peals of thunder resound in this range. Sirion, which is another name for Mount Hermon, the highest mountain in Palestine, it seemingly jumps up and down as the thunder rumbles. And then, and then to the south, the storm moves to the wilderness of Kadesh in verses 7-9. through nine, You can see it there. The lightning flashes and the storm moves into the lowlands. And even the animals that are dwelling there have to contend with its display of power. Even the animals know the fear of the Lord as the mother deer. It's kind of a weird picture. But the mother deer is so frightened, is so scared that she literally is frightened into going into labor. You see, the thunder, through the thunder he has heard, through the lightning he has seen, and through the wind he has felt. And the effect of all this, verse 9, all cry glory. We don't say that very much in our day and age. So maybe the better way to think about that in our modern context with our modern ears is, whoa, 
Wow. You see, this is not just science happening. This is not just the clashing of differently charged particles. No, this storm that David is witnessing is a display of greatness, of revelation of majesty. The Lord is speaking. His voice is being heard. And we need to listen to it. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And yet, this is a challenge for us. John Calvin said this. It's a great quote. It is a diabolical science which fixes our contemplations on the works of nature and turns them away from God. So here's the point. We've been studying that book by Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp's a pastor in our denomination. He's an author. He likes to say that we're, we're all hardwired for glory, right? I think even Chris brought this up in the class. We're all hardwired for glory. What do I mean by that? Was we're all built to go, whoa. That's natural for us. We, we want to find things to go, whoa, about. The problem is we are so easily blind to the glory of God. And so instead, we, we manufacture our own increasingly so and we replace God's glory. We try to replace God's glory with which is so inadequate. But we need transcendence. We need God's glory. We need to see and recognize the glory of God all around us. We need to have a worldview that doesn't deduce everything to equations and theories. And this is the power of nature. I'm not calling for a simplistic view of how things work. I mean, that description of thunder is true. But we've got to think about thunder as more than that. We've got to have an enchanted view. You know I love that word. Our world is enchanted. And one of the bummer things about the Northwest, who was I talking to about this? I think I was talking to Zach about this a couple weeks ago, is is we don't have good thunderstorms in the Northwest. Oh, we have some every once in a while, but they're not good. They're not Louisiana good or Georgia good. Or Florida good. But we do have Mount Rainier. We do have the majesty of the Cascades. And so if anything, this psalm, it's an argument not to miss church, but to get outside. (laughs) And to soak up the glory of God that is all around us, that is crying who He is. It will make you tremble at the God that we worship. But there's another significant theme found in this psalm. And it's at the very end of the psalm. Verses 10 and 11. Not only tremble at the Lord of the storm. I don't think that's the first thing that this psalm evokes. But the other thing is this. Find peace in the King of Kings. 
Find peace in the King of Kings. I have, I have vivid memories as I was studying this passage this week. I have vivid memories of watching thunderstorms as a small boy growing up in New Jersey. New Jersey has some pretty good ones too. My dad, who many of you have met, my dad, retired pastor himself. I remember finding my dad often on the front porch of our house during thunderstorms. Protected from the rain, but not from the howling wind and from this powerful visual display. We had a lone tree that I used to climb that was directly in front of our front porch. And I would worry that it would be gone because it would bend in the wind as these storms would pass. And I remember as a small boy coming out onto the front porch with my dad sitting there in his chair, and I remember being struck by his calm as I wrestled with my own anxiety as a young boy. You see, he knew something that I didn't. He had a strength that I hadn't yet developed. And it wasn't his mere knowledge of of how storms worked. It was his understanding and knowledge of who works the storms. You see, as the psalm closes, it transitions from this violent scene. We've got deers being scared to the point of birth. Trees bent over being stripped bare of their bark at the violence of the storm. And then suddenly we have peace and calm. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. How? How do we get here? I mean, perhaps the storm is over, perhaps it isn't, but for David, the voice that he has witnessed through this storm as he's watched it progress over the land, as he's heard the voice of the Lord in his ears and on his skin, it completes itself in rule. This is a cosmic throne. The waters of chaos described here in verse 10 as a flood, they are sat on by Yahweh. Couple things to note about this. First of all, for the Canaanite god Baal, who was often called the god of the storm, the sea was actually his opponent. Here Yahweh sits over the sea and over the waters. Dale Davis, one of the commentators I enjoy reading, calls this put down theology. David's putting down all rivals to Yahweh. Not just for Baal, but for the pantheon of God stories. You know, in the Gilgamesh epic, which contains its own flood story, the gods are scared of the flood. They create it, but they're overwhelmed by what they've started. Not so Yahweh. He sits enthroned over the flood. But in addition to that picture and that tie with the ancient mind and the ancient pantheon of gods, in addition to that, the word for flood that is used here is only used one other place in the Bible. You know where? Genesis 6-11. through The flood. The story of God's judgment on earth and His redemption of a people through Noah. And so really what we see here in these closing verses are echoes of judgment for God's people. Of the kind of voice and power and majesty that brought an end to rebellion and evil. 
And what comes after that dealing with rebellion and evil? What comes after? What comes after storms? Rainbows. Rainbows. The promise. The promise that's given in nature through the beauty of a rainbow. And that brings us full circle to the promise of God. To the glory of God made manifest to us. The glory that Austin spoke about just a few minutes ago. Not merely in the storm, but in His Son, the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus came to earth that we might see, that we might hear the voice of God, that we might see His glory in full display, not in the fearful huddling of a storm, but in the beauty of grace and truth. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 2.11, this, this is after He changed water to wine. John 2.11, this, the first of His signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. And so, brothers and sisters, that's where the strength, that's where the fortitude comes from. That's where the rest of heart, that's where the peace can come from. That Yahweh, the God of the storm, majestic and powerful and glorious and holy and full of splendor, has established His rule and His reign through the work of His Son. The One who came and spoke to the wind and the waves and calmed them by the word of His power. The one who let the flood of God's wrath overwhelm Him to the point of death in order that we might not have to endure that. And the God who will return on the day of the Lord, a day they will have a great show of power and strength. Indeed, when the Lord comes back, it will be terrifying. But for those who know and love this covenant God through the gift of His Son, there will be no condemnation. No falling to the knees in agonizing regret, but only falling to the knees in humble worship. David invites us to that today. So next time you witness a storm, next time you're standing at the base of Mount Rainier, worship, tremble, recognize and stop and say, whoa, not just with your lips, but with your hearts, with your lives. And next time you see a rainbow, don't just explain it away through a scientific definition of the refraction of light, but recognize that the Lord is always speaking, always ruling and reigning, always reminding us of His promises, and therefore peace can truly be ours. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for such a vivid picture that David witnessed. A picture that so many of us in here have witnessed in some form at some point in our lives. 
And a picture which reminds us of heavenly realities. Of the Lord who sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord who sits enthroned above our planet, our galaxy, our universe. For it was all created for Your glory. And so as we go from this place, as we enjoy the works of Your hands, may we give praise where praise is due. May we turn from the the pettiness of our idols, of those things that we, we chase glory in, and may we set our sights on the One who is glorious above all things. Trembling at Your feet, Not out of fear, not out of terror, but out of reverence and awe. For the God who has made us, the God who has saved us, the God who loves us still in tenderness through Jesus our Savior. So Father, do Your work among Your people through Your Word this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.